Wolves and Goalie. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 499. Jason Lingren is with me and Wayne McCroy returns. And this whole episode is basically based on uh, research that Wayne's done and has been doing. In a nutshell, it's the lemma. And I know a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about it, the lemma, and we're going to cover it openly and honestly. There may be some differing opinions, but what you need to realize here is you can read this and see all the beneficial, seemingly good things about it, but it's like a coin where one side is light and one side is dark. What we're covering here is what Crowley basically ran off with. In my view, and this is my personal view, Crowley natched most of what he got. I have read very authentic accounts of people who spoke Hebrew, as an example, since birth, and they said that Crowley had a very marginal grasp on the language as one example. But in what we're about to cover, the Argentium Astrum associated with Cali, the OTO associated with Crowley Thalema. But we're going to lay down ideas, take them as we lay them down. If you have some differing opinion, that's fine, but I'm not really interested in arguing with this. We're going to lay down the research based on the way we view it. And I know a lot of people view this in a different way than I do. That's fine. That is your right in this world of free will. But let's just open with the maxim that showed up, by the way, on Zeppelin IV's album. Uh, Most of them, as far as I know. Zeppelin IV would be the album with the man carrying the sticks. If you open the inset fold, there is the hermit. And on the album disc, the vinyl album disc, inscribed, literally inscribed, It didn't seem like it was pressed in one of the versions I saw. And in an older version that I had, it really felt like it had been inscribed after the fact. I'm not sure how it got there. What it said was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Now, there's more to that in the document we're going to be referencing here called Equinox. There is no law beyond do what thou wilt. And finally, The word of the law is, and there's a Greek word in this that we pretty much all agree is the word will. And we're going to jump into this. Now, I'm going to be upfront. From my point of view, what Crowley did was self centered. And there are accounts, and you can read them, where it says things like, do what thou wilt. Uh, You can exercise your will in any way you please. And if anyone steps in your way, you have the right to kill them. And by the way, wait for it, there will be slaves. And I'm not kidding. As a matter of fact, I think Mike Sage of Quay actually touched on this in some of the research he got into in the music industry. Anyhow, that was a lot of words. Welcome, Jason. And a warm good morning. Welcome, Wayne. Hey, guys. Good to be back on here. All right. Why don't you go ahead, tell folks where they can find you. And on the tail end of that, why don't we just go ahead and name the document we're going to draw off? Okay. Uh, sounds good. First, if anybody wants to reach me, I could be reached directly at alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com. Uh, the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and just about anywhere else you find podcasts at this point. Uh, I also do a lot of work over on Rockfin. That's R-O-K-F-I-N.com backslash Wayne McCroy, and you can find the various shows that I do there on that platform as well. Plus, there's the YouTube channel, which gets very little traffic these days and very little content posted to it because of the nature of censorship as it were but a lot of this stuff that we're going to cover today uh, these are the kind of things that i cover on my podcast so uh 
if you're interested in this stuff and want a deeper breakdown, what I do is I will actually grab their own documented sources here, much like the one we're going through today, which is called the Equinox. And this was a volume of books that was published twice per year, uh, starting with the advent of what the religion is that's called Thelema is, which was co-founded by Aleister Crowley and a gentleman named George Cecil Jones, which many people are unaware of. So this is something, and I think this iteration we're reading from, this is a 1919 volume of the Equinox we'll be reading from here today. I think this one was actually penned by Aleister Crowley himself. So to give you an idea as to what exactly is being said here, what the claims are, and all of this, this is coming from the horse's mouth. This is directly from those people that brought this institution into the world. And this is a volume that was published primarily for a secret society group called the Argentium Astrum. And this is a high-level occult group that sits at the top of many of the other occult fraternities. And it's associated very loosely with the OTO. They will claim there's no relation between the two, but certainly you could see there's member crossover between them. So uh, a lot of these things were brought to the forefront through the OTO because this was the larger organization at the time. And Crowley used it to get these ideas out there into the mindset of the modern day occultists at that time. So what has happened is many of these principles that Crowley put forth have been adopted wholesale by modern occultism, as it were. And these are the things that are taught today in many of these secret society groups and these occult fraternities out there. So that being the case, we're here to point out the poison that's in there because as time progressed from the ancient times from which some of these teachings come, They've been twisted and perverted through time and turned over into the inversion principle to be reversed here in the way that they teach it today. So they're teaching essentially the, the antithesis of what the original teachings were. And it's all about this inversion principle. And it's all to bring in their new world order and their new age as they want to see it. And this kind of thing, these dark occultists who run things at the top of the power structure. And make no mistake, they, they very much have a core understanding of a lot of things that we don't, and they utilize these principles against us. But we'll point out where in here that a lot of this stuff has been contorted. And although some people may find value in some of this stuff, the thing you need to understand is the people who are wielding it at the topmost levels today are wielding it in a way that does not benefit the bulk of mankind. So uh, that was a mouthful, but <laughs> that's essentially what we're reading from today. All right, so let's let's jump into this. Basically, on chapter two, where we're going to pick up, you see intentional things like in the, in the front piece on the other one I was looking at. You see that the PO box that they've chosen in New York, New York, is seven six six six. You see that the zip code is a nine eleven encode. These are all. I mean, people can come along and say that's completely by chance. So I'm going to let it go, but it's there. But what's not chance is when you start choosing. Uh, the name of your book or Lieber or chapter. Now, the Lieber that this is drawn from, where we're going to jump in, they chose to number it, hence, in Roman numerals, CCXX. Now, that's a clever encode. CC is 33, right? In the way that we do basic numerology now. But CC 33 is six, X and X are six. Um, so it's a triple six. So they're 
actually encoding information as we go along. But Wayne, we'll pick up with the opening chapter where it basically says the obvious meaning of this law is confirmed by its antithesis. And this is it. The world of sin is restriction. And this is, I think, where people get fooled into it. Yeah, you're right. The idea of sin is restriction, right? Don't do this. It's sinful. You're restricted from doing that. So that is a true statement. But what's actually being said here is that there is no sin. You do whatever the hell you want. Your will is the whole of the law. As I stated before, anyone steps in your way, you have the right to kill them. And the last little statement, which is almost never written down, obviously in places, is by the way, there will be slaves. Well, what would that be? Those are people who are not exercising their will to the fullest. But let's center in on the idea of sin for a second, vis-a-vis the spiritual traditions that I have spent a lifetime looking at. It is a fact you could associate the idea of sin with restriction. We live in this spiritual organization where we don't believe in drinking alcohol. So you're restricted from doing that. That's true. That's what's being written here. But there's a clever inversion going on because in the life of a typical spiritual adept, what we can read supposedly happens is as you spiritually advance, your desire to engage in sin goes away. You master it. But there's more here. Because what we're talking about is free will. And as I like to say so often, we have been granted some pretty special things by the creator. And I typically outline them like this, because to me, they are the big three. We have been granted the divine spark of life. That's the biggest gift you can get. Within that, where we are now, we have been granted free will. With free will comes creative power. Now, that free will will be the basis for the hardest, most daunting tests we will ever face and overcome because we have free will. The last one, as I put it, we have been made beneficiaries of this creation. And I I include that because all the civil systems basically get us to agree not to recognize that, that somehow your municipality or your state or your federal government is actually the arbiter of what's allowed and what is not. In other words, I can't go feed myself and go fishing, say, without their approval with a license, these ideas. But before I hand it off, there is an idea, and I know a lot of people have a beef with this, but I have covered it in enough places, talked to people like Fortune to see what they were taught, that at higher planes, and I'm not going to identify them, I will just simply say higher planes to avoid the controversy of it. There is no free will. And where we are sitting, that's like, wow, that's pretty restrictive. How can it be that when I get to some higher level, I no longer have free will? Well, let me reshape the thought. We've come to recognize at the higher level how nature works. There is no lie in nature. That is where truth resides. Therefore, when we have grown, I'll just say grown enough, We recognize that the only true way is the truthful way, which is provided for us here in the systems of nature. We don't need free will anymore because we have recognized that this is truth and we will operate within truth and there is no decision within truth. Either it is true or it is not true. And I know that might not be the best description, but I figured I'd pick it up there, Wayne, because of the statement, the word of sin 
is restriction. Or basically what they're saying is the word, in one way, what they're saying is the word sin means restriction. Means because of this idea of someone came up with this as a sin, I have been restricted and therefore I can't do whatever I want to do. Well, that's the whole thing. And that's one of the reasons why uh, we have had the instantiation of this religious philosophy into the modern age. Because you see, there were those in certain areas of occultism, as it were, that wanted to change the natural laws for the new age. And see, that's the whole thing. Sin is violation of natural law. This world has always operated and will always operate on these natural law principles that were put in place by our creator. Well, this is where in these various groups, like uh, the ones belonged to by Crowley and some of the others, this is where they want to ch change things up. So Crowley uh, allegedly channeled this Lieber 220, as it were, Lieber 220, that's what CCXX is, which is another encoding there, 220. You can count the ways with that as well. And it does encode the 666 and the 911 and everything else. It's also the master, the way you just did it was in the Roman numeric value, right. and that encodes the Masonic master builder number. Right. So this was all done on purpose. But this Lieber 220 that this uh, this text is drawing from, this is the one that was allegedly channeled uh, to Crowley through a being he called Ewas. He identified as Ewas, who he called his higher guardian angel, uh, which relates to the higher self principle once again, as it were. And you can see how this higher self principle does not align with what we might think it does when we get a little further into delving into the backgrounds of how this all came about. But essentially, what these occultists wanted to do is they wanted to bring in this new age of which we are entering here through the natural cycles of time. They wanted to bring it in and change the natural order of things. They wanted natural laws to change, and they think they can achieve that through the supposition or the application of their will. And in applying their will, they seek to dethrone the old god, as it were, the, the dying god, as they like to call it, and reinstantiate it with the crowned and conquering child or the age of Horus. So that's what they, they're seeking to do here uh, when you want to look at it on long philosophical lines. They're seeking to upend the natural order of things, to invert the natural order of things, control the natural order of things. Uh, so when you get to brass tacks with these teachings, and we'll see if we actually read directly from the quotes in this book, I think people will begin to understand what's been done here. It's all about trying to invert the natural order of things. And that's something that simply cannot be done by mankind. But the delusion here is that man can achieve this. Man himself can become God, as it were, and change the natural law the way that this world operates. And that's what they're seeking to do. And that's the energetic principles they're trying to bring about within this new age, which is, of course, uh, supposed to be an age of enlightenment and spiritual advancement, the age of Aquarius. But like everything else, they always want to try to leverage things in certain directions to bring about the changes that they want. And of course, when I'm speaking of they, I'm talking about these dark occultists at the top of the power structure in this world that seek to run things, that want total control of everything, of every man, woman, and child on the planet. And I say planet because planet, as uh, Fortune will point out, just means a little plane. 
Uh, so uh, I try to be careful with my language, but if that triggers somebody, I mean, just think of it in that term as well. But uh, <laughs> so, so we sh- when we should address what you just brought up, the Aquarian age. And by the way, to me, basically during the '60s, when Jason and I started to cover all of the out in the open, full on social programming through basically at that time, heavily through music, but through media, movies, TV, everybody knows the deal. But music was the keystone for that generation. There was nothing more important in the early 60s young folk than the music. The seminal album, which we've pointed out so many times that represents the social engineering milestone, would be Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. They're swapping out a personage, all the things that we've covered. But on that album cover, which was carefully put together, Um, The number one spot up in the upper left is a man named Yukteswar, who was the guru or teacher of the very famous yogi called Yogananda. There are four people in that lineage, all the way back to a guy named Babaji, which is, I don't know, AD 500 or so, it's way back. But Babaji is considered an avatar, which in that reckoning is a big deal. Here's the difference. Supposedly, what they are involved in is compassion to all living beings. In other words, what they're doing is meant to benefit all living beings. It's not far off the the later idea of the bodhisattva in Buddhism. Now, what's going on here, if I could be so bold, and I will be, is what Crowley became the poster boy. He became almost like this secret idol of all the people that were doing the social programming. He holds the number two spot from the upper left on Sergeant Peppers. And it took me a while to unravel this because it, it called into question Yukteswar and his correction of the so-called cycles of time, the yugas. Now, on the one hand, we can kind of attach Crowley to the Aquarian age idea, which was social engineering put up the new age movement that can be tied to Tavistock and its likes all day long. That's what they were doing. But think of the Think of John Wick, all right? You know how John Wick likes to say there's a high table? Well, think of our world like that. Who's above the corporations, right? Who's above it all? Let's just imagine them right now, since we probably will never know most of their names, as a high table. They literally consider themselves Olympian. Do you suppose that at that level, what they think is correct on how they should be able to run things is do what thou will and let that be the whole of the law? Now, when you run down through what's been said there, the last verse or the last little implication, which is often left out after I can kill people who try to stop me because my will is law, is that there will be slaves. So you can see where this goes. If you're going to look at this honestly, this idea of my will is the whole of the law is not that we are all connected in this place, is not that. I should care for my brother and my sister and the fellow beings in this place. And yet, when we go over to nature, that's exactly what we are taught. That tree that I'm looking at is connected to everything else in one way or another, to the sky, to the water, to the everything, to the birds, to the bees. And, you know, I've done the outline with the Buddha watching the farmer to demonstrate that epiphany that we're all connected here. And I think these are key points to make, but just to to tail it up, and cue you, Wayne, Yukteswar came along and he took the Yuga cycle, which if you go to Wikipedia now, 
or the Encyclopedia Britannica, which is how I know it's bunk because it's listed in these fraudulent places. They will tell you that we are currently in a dark age at the bottom of the wheel in the, in the age of iron or in the Kali Yuga, the darkest, worst place you can be in the cycle. And we've got 400,000 years before we get out of it. What Yukteswar did was he found an error, corrected the error, explained the error, and he did it in 12 pages in a book that is basically designed to show that, hey, man, the Hindus and the Christian Bible, we're both talking about the same thing. I bleed, you bleed. We're looking for spiritual advancement. We've done it in different ways because our cultures are different, but that's what 95% of that book does after you get by those 12 pages. But what he did do was he came along and says, look, we left the ascending dark age in 1700. We did the transition period and we're firmly in the ascending bronze or Dwarpa age, bronze, we would call it. And we will gain 50% of our virtue back in this period. That's part of what's been hidden here. And the reason I think it's important, Wayne, and I don't know if you see it how I, but I think we can tie Crowley and the likes of the new age movement and the Aquarian idea all day long to their obscuring of cycles of time to try to keep the so-called slaves that they mentioned blind. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, I, I agree with you. That's part of what's been done. Now, we do go through these natural energetic phases of time. I mean, this is a well-established thing. If you look into hermeticism and whatnot, we go through these various cycles of time. And we are in a cycle right now where it's a crossover. It's a switchover between ages. And the age that's supposed to be onsetting here is an age of enlightenment or advancement spiritually. Uh, the age of Aquarius. It's the ascendancy of man. So it does align basically with that uh, type of description as given through the Eastern philosophies here. We're on the ascendant. We're supposed to be. But what's been done here is you have some of these dark elements that have come in that are trying to hijack these energetic principles, as it were, and realign them in certain ways. And I wrote an entire book about this called The Demic of Pan, breaking the natural order. And that's exactly what they're seeking to do. They're seeking to bypass the energetic principles involved with this age of Aquarius and cycle us back down into an animalistic state, going to the age, the the next age beyond that, Uh, which if you look is the age of Aries, if I'm not mistaken, uh, if my memory serves me. No, no, no. After, after Aquarius, it's, it's going the other way around. It'll be Capricorn. Capricorn. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, I, my mind blanked there for a minute. Capricorn, which has the goat idea attached to it, the herd animal idea attached to it. It's an age of water birth. Goat. Yeah, right? water goat. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the whole thing. So, we have these things coming about, and uh, that's what's been done, essentially, is they're trying to leverage off of principles, energetic principles associated with the cycles of time to lead the human mind further into the entrapment in materialism, as it were, rather than becoming more spiritually minded as what is the natural cycle as it's supposed to be here. So it's about entrenching this idea of the Aramonic principle, as Steiner described it, within mankind, thinking in terms of hyper-materialist paradigms, as it were. Which should be the last age, by the way. The dark age is defined in the East as materialism, the age that we suspect we are in now called Dwarpa or bronze would be the age of energy. Of course, that age 
energy as electricity, just to make the point, because you're getting into the materiality. So this is the key point of why these things are hidden, because we are probably technically no longer in the age of materialism. We should be rising above that now. And yet no one's aware of it. And hyper-materialism is still on offer. Absolutely. And that's why the push for all things digital, they're attempting to digitize everything because in so doing, they're trapping us in this hyper-materialist paradigm, as it were, switching from all things analog or natural to digital or artificial, artificiality. And when they have you entrenched in this system where everything you see is controlled and your perceptions are all controlled, well, they could pretty much control all the aspects about you. And this applies directly to this material place that we live in. They want us to think in these terms. That's why they push the notion of science as the be-all, end-all, because this is something that could be objectively measured in a physical sense here, the things that they call science. If it can't be a, a objectively measured, well, then they, they, they claim it just doesn't exist. So spiritual things can't be objectively measured, but they're doing their best to try to quantify them in some way. And in so doing, they're setting up this control system that snaps mankind into this materialist paradigm, as it were. That's why they want us to think of things like consciousness as simply being the byproduct of some physical manifestation here, the electrochemical activity of the brain and brainstem. That's what they would like for you to believe that consciousness is, that there's nothing transcendent, there's nothing spiritual behind it. All things can be explained as some material world cause and effect type Weight scenario. measured, right? Science weighed, weighed and measured. measured. But that's that technically, if it is correct, and I accept, I currently accept that we are beyond the so-called Kali Yuga, the so-called Iron Age, the so-called Dark Age, which would have been materialism. In other words, it's a bit like holding you out of time or back in time. In other words, preventing you to advancing to the so-called best description I know is the Eastern one, the energy age. The reason it's the best is because electricity, look around what, I mean, electricity is driving everything. Even our cars are about to become all electric. And the big deal there is to grow up spiritually in the energy age is to become aware of the five subtle electricities, which are reflected in the truths of nature in your senses. In other words, your hearing, your, your smell are all a solid natural proof of one of the five subtle electric energies. But Wayne, if we move to the end of Liber 2 on page 43 of Equinox and the version we're using, it says this, book of the law is much love. There is no word of sentimentality. Hate itself is almost like love. Fighting, most certainly is love. As brothers fight ye, or we fight. It closes the whole chapter thusly. Upon the swords of the night monks of Thelema, these are warrior monks, and that closes by saying, love is the law, love under will. It opened by saying, your will is the law. And the, the very last thing written under love is the law, love under will, is 666. So there's a whole warrior attitude to the point where they call themselves night monks with swords using the lance of the sharpened will and go on to say things like hate is actually love and fighting is absolutely love. In other words, I would ask, so 
gentlemen of this obscure table. When we're at war and people are fighting, that's love, right? Is that what you're saying here? I'm just asking. They do have an amusing way of playing with words in this book or document, whatever this is. It's a good thing you said that because there's absolutely a double entendre minimally going on here. And while I am not initiated, I am bright enough to recognize when there's more being leveraged here, even if I can't get at it for lack of initiation, not that I would actually want it. I prefer to go the other way, which is what I'm doing. But you can tell, I noticed you recognized it in the same way I did. When it says hate itself is almost like love, you can tell there's a a simile or something going on there. But that's that's at the very end of the chapter on page 43, Wayne. Yeah, and that's that's part of uh, one of the important messages that can be read in a, a work like this. Understanding this is their attitude. And the way I framed this when I actually uh, started to break this down is, what is it that the quote-unquote elite of this world believe? What, what are their ideologies? Why does it seem like they differ from us so much? And this is one of the reasons why. They see conflict and hate, as it were, as being uh, just another type of love. So they, the way they view it is whatever their will is, it's okay for them to do whatever they have to with that to get that done because the ends always justify the means. And it's all good because it's all just an expression of love in their viewpoint. Like a step, Wayne, you just said it to just like, no matter what you do to get to your means, it's justified. In other words, the outcome justifies everything that's been done, no matter how heinous it may appear. In other words, no matter what I'm doing, killing, fight, whatever I'm doing here, it's one step towards a goal. And the achieving of that goal makes all the rest of it okay. Absolutely. And not only that, there's that double entendre too. The stupid monkeys, the only way they're going to learn anything is the hard way, right? So that's that's also the implication being made there as well. So it doesn't matter to them what happens to you or what kind of heinous activity takes place. It's all about the ends that they reach. The ends always justify the means with these people. And this is essentially what that means. And it's also an interesting facet to look at here that they believe that at cer- at a certain point in their initiatory process as it were or their learning or their adeptship however they want to view this when they reach this certain critical point and some of them refer to it as the crossing of the abyss as it were once they do that and they've overcome they've allegedly overcome their animal nature as it were then they're beyond morality so they have no moral concerns anymore They're not bound by the laws, the natural laws. And that's how they view this. And that's why the whole key here in this chapter is the word of sin is restriction. Well, they don't think that they have to be bound by that system of sin. They don't want to be bound by that system anymore. They're not bound by natural law. You see, that's what they believe when they get to that certain point uh, within these teachings. They think, well, I'm just beyond that. I'm not bound by that silly notion any longer. And I think we'll see as we get a little further in here to this reading, wherein they they kind of double down on that idea. They think it's it's silly to limit yourself by these moral standards and by these natural laws. They think they're beyond that and they think they can do better. Let's use Tibet as the example. This is a perfect example. So in Tibet, 
supposedly. I wasn't there. But what I have read of it is you had a whole nation that was built up on a religious principle. For them, it was Buddhism. For them, the basic arching idea can kind of be wrapped up in in what's claimed of a bodhisattva, but that's maybe a slightly higher principle. The point is they had no army. They believed in compassion and, and just basically the entirety of farming and everything else was to support the temples, to support the monks, to support the religious traditions to the point where even generally the oldest firstborn male or at least one child from most families would end up at least going to experience training as a monk in the temple, many of them spending the rest of their lives there. And that was an honor to the family. Well, here's here's what's being pointed out here in my view. This is the paradox of what it means to be here. If we chose to say, I am a compassionate being, I won't have to do with armies and guns and all these other things, the truth, which is proven in Tibet, is the first guy with a gun that wants to do something to you is going to get away with it. China just marched over them. There was nothing they could do about it. They had a complete society built on religious traditions and temples, and they had no way to defend themselves. And that is almost what I read into what's being laid down here. The warrior monk, the idea that we have to be strong so we can get what we want, but we can also prevent what we don't want. And that is in fact a paradox. But Wayne, let's jump over to the tent on page 44, because as in all things, actually, Before I jump into a a short little soliloquy called The Tent on page 44 of the document we're reading from, let's try to be even-handed. Apparently, for all I know, in my lifetime of research, you can choose to go to the light side or the dark side, and you have broken no rule. It's your choice. You have free will. At certain points, you have gone a bridge too far when you begin to harm others and do things like that. But to go to the dark side and choose that as your operating principle is within the purview of your free will. Just saying. So let's pick up with the taint here, Wayne, on page 44 of the PDF we're reading from called Equinox, because the opening line tells you the truth of where we exist. And so here you will find truths all the way through this, but it's just like the knife. Let's view the knife as a truth. What can I do with it? Well, I can cut my food and get nourishment. I can carve something beautiful. I can use it as a tool to make rope or something, but I could also murder someone. That's kind of exact simile of what we're talking about on how principles get used. But in the tent, the opening line, my point of view is telling you the truth. Here we go. The tent. Only the stars and dome the lonely camp. Only the desert leagues encompass it. Waterless wastes, a wilderness of wit, embattled, cold imaginations camp. Now, where the, desolate, where the desolation feigned to stamp the congealed spirit of man into the pit, save that unquenchable because unlit. The love of God burns steady like a lamp. It burns beyond the sands, beyond the stars, which he opened by saying in dome, this lonely camp we are inhabiting. It burns beyond the bands, beyond the bars, 
And so the expanse of mystery, veil by veil, he's basically just laid down their idea, which is reflected in many other spiritual traditions of how the higher, let's just call them planes, lay out if you're paying attention. And so the expanse of mystery veil by veil burns inward, plume on plume, still folding over, the dissolved heart of the amazed lover, the angel wings over the holy grail. But there's really no getting away from what maybe only part of this that I can unravel and recognize that the opening line tells you where you are. Only the stars and dome or R.A. Dome over this lonely camp. Go ahead, Wayne. Well, yeah, that's a hugely important idea, too. So, I mean, I think that tells you about where it is that we exist uh, in to a certain degree here. And there are certain truths that are brought to light when you look at this document. And this, this I, I guess you could call it a poem, This the tent, uh, for lack of a better term. It gives you some good core truths within it. And there's nothing wrong with that. And see, that's the thing. That's where people get uh, kind of starstruck, as it were, by this whole notion of Thelema, because that's the whole point here. And this goes to any of the secret society groups and the things that they teach as well. They do teach you some things that are true and of value, but they always have a little bit of poison mixed with it. And that's where I always encourage people, you need to really use your tools for discernment to try to weed through what's good information and what is just going to ultimately lead to death. And I mean, I'm talking very clearly about spiritual death as well as perhaps physical death, because make no mistake about it, the people in charge pretty much operate a death cult in this world. And they've instantiated these death-based ideas across the board for measures of control over all of us. Just think of the idea of corporation, the word corpse, very much, uh, you know, entrenched within that. And of course, that's on purpose. And they've come up with this whole notion of straw man identity and all of these things, talking about dead entities, as they were, as a representative of yourself. Uh, so as a concept of the lower self compared to the higher self, as they like to teach it. So they they come up with all these different systems in that way. But we see here, there's a lot of true things being revealed, just specifically in this poem. If you learn to read the symbolism there you can understand what's what's being said uh it's kind of like uh, lonely the lonely camp as they call it and that's existing in this material plane as it were we're separated from the spiritual ideas in this place and this is something that we we struggle with and we're supposed to be entering this age now where the spiritual things are supposed to be coming back to the forefront of our thought and we're being led in the other direction by these people who've been in control for a long time. And they want to maintain that control because they want to be the gods of this place. And they think that the way that they can become God, as it were, themselves, is by hijacking this place, inverting all the natural principles here, and enthroning themselves on the seat of power in this world through the advent of these artificial means, through the use of high technologies, as it were today, uh, to fulfill a perverted version of their great work, as they like to call it. And it very much leads down to the road of transhumanism. And I sound like a broken record uh, saying this stuff, but absolutely, transhumanism has its roots in the occult. 
And these, uh, you know, dark occultists at the top of the power structure are definitely leading us in that way, because what better way to trap people in the material paradigm than to lead them down this road where all things are just a byproduct of some physical process here and be able to get people convinced that uploading their consciousness to a machine is the way to go <laughs> and have control of their senses. Combining synthetic with the truth of nature. Right. In other words, integrating the man-made synthetic with the truthful creation of the creator. But Wayne, as we move through, you know, it, it shows there is a version of beyond the fact that you're under a dome, which is represented by stars here. He goes on to say that it burns. Well, where does it burn? Beyond the sands, beyond the stars. So from where we are to above where we are, beyond the bands beyond the bars. And so the mystery of the veil, veil by veil by veil. But uh, it, it, he's actually outlining uh, in a different way, the same idea of what's next, what's above us, what can we aspire to, which is interesting because what you're laying down, in fact, in the Bible, when they say, well, well don't go searching for God everywhere. Why are you going, you know, all these places to search for God, look within, right? And so even this is playing on that idea just in a different way. It's not the heads of the coin in this way of thinking about it. It's the tails of the coin. But I wanted to get into uh, page 47 here, which I think is a good opening statement for us, Wayne, um, while we've still got a little time in hour one, because he takes the time None of, when you read what's written here, the words are all carefully chosen, and I'll demonstrate why. So once again, we're told at the beginning of this next section that everything's been taken from Lieber CCXX or the Book of Law. And how do they all open? They all open with the mantra, the statement, the belief, the highest belief, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And so do you know if this is Crowley speaking here when it says I'm often asked? I think this one is attributed to Crowley. I'm I think it sure is he, too. I'm pretty I sure he wrote that. it. Yeah. Yeah. I read it before. So this is what he says. I am often asked why I begin my letters in this way. Do what thou wilt. Let that be the whole of law. No matter whether I am writing to my lady or my butcher. Now there's a contrast. Always. I begin with, wait for it. These 11 words. Well, why are you saying this? Because these are carefully chosen words. He's pointing out that there are 11 words in their ultimate statement, their dictum, their, their whatever you want to call it, their operating belief. There are 11 words. This is carefully put together. It closes this little opening paragraph by saying, why? How else should I begin? What other greeting could be so glad? Look, brother, we are free. Rejoice with me, sister. There is no law beyond do whatever the hell we want to do here, basically. But what is it about the 11? Well, we've all lived through the last couple of decades, and we recognize I marked the onset of Covidius Minimus in this country, like the day the canon reported and announced this is happening as 311. How many people remember 911 being, in my view, exactly what the album Breakfast in America said it was, that in 22 years from the launching of that album, they would break the fast. What was the fast? They're operating under 
not out in the open. 9-11, that's it, baby. We are so powerful. No one's going to stop us. We're going operational in full view. 9-11, there's that 11 again. Why is it always the 11? I was looking at the Christian mystics to understand their breakdown, their ideas of the numbers. I looked at so many different versions of what basically one through nine, how they were spiritually viewed through all these different traditions to include the Rosicrucians, Christian mystics, even Steiner covers some of it. That's a little closer to the Rosicrucians, if you ask me, very similar. But here's what I learned. There's a commonality. There's absolutely a commonality. And then I came across the statement. And I don't remember where it was, but it said basically 11, according to Crowley, was the evilest of numbers. And that's what launched me to get to the bottom of why. Why is 11 the evilest of numbers? Well, after reviewing the Christian mystics and other things, I began to reason my way through why I think that is. They have chosen 11 words to be their ultimate statement of what they believe and what they're about. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. As I mentioned, makes it on Zeppelin, the the Stairway to Heaven album, by the way, big deal. That has been heard by probably everyone in the world. And when it was released, even more so. Very few people in the world didn't get that album or have it in their hands at one point. And when that album is spinning on the turntable, that energy with that inscription, do I need to go further? Here's my idea of why Crowley claimed 11 was the evilest of numbers. I began to realize that almost all the way across all things, the number one was like the God um, or representing God, the upright one, the genesis of everything to follow. But on a lower level, it was male. And then two was female. And then as I rolled it over into nature to try to let nature show me what is true, I recognized what I've said so many times. I want to make something. I made a dot. I can't do anything yet. I make another dot. That's like the man and the woman, right? Well, now they can have a child or on paper, I can make a triangle with that third dot that would be a child for a man or a woman or would be a creation of the creator. Now I can create things. That's just the example. As you roll through, nine becomes the completion in almost all the the traditions that I have sussed it out in. In some, they call 10 the completion. But the truth of it is, is that nine is the completion. Ten is perfection and the rolling back to one. And it's got that idea of the one God in it. So it's all these things. Well, then what is 11? 11 is moving away from perfection. And as far as I can tell, that was one of the main reasons Crowley decided to state that 11 was the evilest of numbers. Beyond that, one would be positive, two would be negative, one would be male, two would be female. On and on, we can go with the similes and addendums. But on the flip side of not thinking in Crowley's way that I can use 11 because it's evil, it's the evilest, so I can leverage off that. The other side of the coin, the light side, would simply say, now you're going back to the God one and you're doubling it by an octave. And the outcome of that cycle will be 20. So instead of getting to 10 perfection, you're getting to a doubled down perfection called 20, or basically the only way I can describe it as an octave above perfection. So there it is, Wayne. That's the best I can do to explain it. I don't know how well I did. Uh, I think you did pretty well because basically that's my understanding 
of the nature of this as well. So I see 11 as a type of, uh, um, well, you would skip, the reason they do 9-11, it's the skipping of 10. It's the skipping, it's the completion of the cycle, but skipping the perfection thereof and moving on and rolling it back over into the next cycle, the new cycle. Without, without God, let's let's describe right. it. I'm glad you brought it Separated up. Separated so, from God, right. So here we are living our lives pre-9-11. What are we doing? This is what we're doing. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, completion, 10, remove the zero, rolling back to one, natural cycle. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, on and on we go in the truths of nature. In 9-11, a synthetic idea is introduced. Right. After that point, this is what we do. We started out that day going one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, remove the zero, back to one, the God number, creation over in a new cycle. But what they did was they removed the 10. It's not 9, 10, 11, which we have said our whole lives. Now we omit the perfection, which is also contains the God idea in the creative force of number one, the starting principle of it all. So now what we do is we go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 11. One and one is two. We skip the God number one. We skip the perfection in tomb, encoding the God number one, and we go to two. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 11, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, skip 10, 11, two in an endless broken synthetic cycle. I call it the broken feedback loop. Right. And that's essentially what it is. If you want to look at it from a, a spiritual conception here. So that being the case, uh, yeah, uh, that's why Crowley, in my estimation, identified 11 as the evilest of numbers. And you'll notice he's very careful to point that out. And as you said, this is worded very carefully. So he himself identifying 11 as the evilest number, he full well knew what he was talking about when he was writing this, that he begins with these 11 words. And he knew coming up with this motto of the Argentia Mastrum, as it were, or the religion of Thelema that this was an important feature of it, that it contains 11 words. And he chose that on purpose and pointed it out because he's leveraging upon the idea of the dark side, as it were. And he's making that clear in no uncertain terms by pointing out, hey, you know what? Our, our little slogan here has 11 words. It's not by accident. And that's the thing. So people could read in the good stuff all they want with these things. But uh, at the end of the day, no, the intention is there to do evil or do bad things with this. It's the inversion of the natural order of things. And just look at uh, what he calls this, this writing that he allegedly channeled, the book of the law. Well, we know we live in this world and it is bound by natural laws put in place by the creator. And these have been proven and reproven and reproven through from time immemorial uh, through the observance of the natural world. Well, the things he's saying here violate that natural principle. It's an inversion process thereof. So he's saying all that stuff doesn't matter anymore. That doesn't apply to us anymore. Now we're writing our own natural laws. And that's where in the whole hubristic principle comes in and where this becomes evil on the face of it, bad as it were. It's the inversion of natural order here. So uh, seeking to deify man above God, the creation above the creator, we could go on all day uh, pointing out the different allegories involved here, but that's essentially what's been done with the writing and the implementation of this book of the law and the implementation of the idea of Thelema.
as it were. This shows up in the tarot deck. We're not going to get off on this, but basically the Rider Waite deck, um, there's been a lot written. Um, what I what I chose to do when I began to look at these, I went back to the old stuff, preceding the modern edits and the trickery that we see on the onset of the 1900s and running into the 1900s by the kind of dark occultists that are now trying to run our show. The, the, tarot, the Marseille deck is the one I went for. The 11th card typically is Justice. But the Rider Waite is an inversion in certain ways, and I'm not going to get into that. But if you wanted to look it up, you could see why, particularly the ones that are that are associated with the OTO, which is another Crowley-related organization. For some reason, the OTO decided to update some things about the cards. As far as I know, and I don't know a huge amount, the Marseille deck is the oldest one that I found. And it stands as the juxtaposition of the later things. But anyone who wants to run down the ideas, that's another good way to do it. Um, go look at the deck that was influenced by the OTO and go look at 11. By the way, it's weird because if I remember correctly, it's interchangeable with the eighth card. And I don't remember. Is it the chariot? I don't know. I don't remember. But for some reason, those two get inverted, the eighth card and the 11th. Anyhow, sorry for interrupting, Wayne. No, no, not at all. In fact, you uh, pretty much uh, gave some good information there on top of all that. So it's all good. All right. We're going to get ready to wrap up. So on page 47, and I guess it's not a chapter, maybe the second paragraph, it's like a mini chapter. It goes on to say, I write this for those who have not read our sacred book or the book of the law, or for those who reading it have somehow failed to understand it's perfection. There's a bold statement. The only place I know to find perfection is in the natural creation where truth resides. And here he is claiming that made by the hands of man is perfection. But anyhow, for there are many matters in this book and glad tidings are now here, now there, scattered throughout the book as the stars are scattered throughout the field of night. Now, Here's where the crossovers come. He's going to say things that are true on both sides of the coin that are recognized on the light side, on the heads, and on the dark side, the tails, or on the one and the two. In other words, these things are all connected. You can choose either way as long as you don't go too far, and people should kind of be born knowing what too far is. If you kill someone, yeah, that's too far. If you hurt or harm Use common law maybe as your basis. That's a good, a good benchmark for what's too far in this world. But it closes by saying, at the very head of the book stands the great charter of our Godhead. Now, there's underscoring what Rain said. He's saying our Godhead. Every man and every woman is a star. I can show you, I don't know how many places in spiritual traditions on the light side of the coin that will tell you that very statement. We are all free. Well, that's true. We all have free will. Typically, the hard things that happen and the terrible things are because of our free will. And it is my point of view that we were given our free will because that's how we get tested out of here. At some point, we grow up enough, I suspect, I think, I accept, where we recognize the truth in nature and that there is no other way to operate but within truth. And then the decisions fall away because it is what it is. Anyhow, we are free, all independent, all shining gloriously. 
there's an allusion to the Lucifer, the light. Each one of a radiant world. Is that not good tidings? Anyhow, we're going to clip it right there for hour one. Wayne, please tell folks where they can find you. You should probably mention your books too, because I don't think you did that in the opening. All right, man. Much appreciated. I always like being here with you, gentlemen. Always a good conversation to be had. Uh, I could be reached at alchemicaltechrevolution at gmail.com. The Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast is available anywhere you find podcasts and my books. All you got to do is Google my name to find my books and they're out there. They're available through Amazon and pretty much anywhere else you buy books at this point. So uh, I, I could be found. I mean, it's it's becoming quite easy to find me at this point. So if anybody wants to check out my work, I, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for having me back on. Jason, anything we forgot, anything you want to add? Wayne, how's the rock fin going, would you say, at this point? Uh, it's it's going well. I mean, it's kind of dropped off a little bit as far as the revenues and stuff that it, it uh, produces, but uh, the audience is still there. Like, I've been just pretty steady on Rockfin as far as my subscribers and stuff through there. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's it's a platform that so far hasn't really censored us at all. So that being the case, I'm going to keep going on there as long as they let me do it. And so that's the whole thing. As long as these tools are available to reach people, I'll certainly use them to the fullest extent that I can. But, uh, you know, as far as things go, it's it's not a bad platform. It's not like a YouTube where you're going to reach as massive of an audience. But uh, at the same token, they're not censoring what you're saying. So your message is actually getting out. So that's the important thing. So they did reduce the revenue though didn't they in a way that's kind of a form of censorship although it's probably more like greed there my point being is folks you got to support the things you think are important i don't know what was it last week jason they just pulled another episode down from youtube and that was a wayne mccroy episode where we talked about inoculations and autism uh in a year or two more on places like youtube there will be nothing that doesn't match what's posted on wikipedia which I always use as the example, this is going to be controlled information. And so people with their own websites or places like Rockfin that are at least for now allowing, you've got to support these things. Anyhow, we're going to grab a cup of coffee and get ready to come back for hour two. So this has been hour one of episode 499. The first hour is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. And all members get access on the site to shoot the moon, which is a two hour film that Jason made about all my telescope work. It has 10 awards. Now with that, I would like to, to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy and higher minded new era. And this is in fact, I am currently in fact, accepting that we are in the equivalence of Western bronze age or an Eastern dwarf yuga tied closely to one another, also matching the zodiacs in a weird weird way. And if that is true, we have left behind the era of materialism and we are entering energy. And in this era, it is said that in all past eras that match this ascending cycle, we gain back 50% of our so-called virtue. In the West, we might use a word like consciousness. There it is, man. I'd like to see on the other side. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing. Come on.